Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is the Game King of Gamers with Jobs himself, <laughs> Sean Elysium Sands. Uh, greetings upon you. <laughs> uh, so if you don't listen to both podcasts, uh, we recently discovered that, that Sean here uh, actually has discovered uh, the Tao of Gaming, basically, mm-hmm. and is, is, is living the way. And the path to his enlightenment apparently has been Europa Universalis 4, which is a game we haven't revisited in ages in this game. It comes up tangentially in a, in a number of shows, but Europa Universalis 4 has uh, continued to grow and change quite extensively uh, since the last time we addressed it in detail. Uh, and I couldn't think of anyone to discuss those changes with that would be better qualified uh, than His Highness here, who <laughs> has logged... Now, I, I've lost track. What is the most recent tally I, of hours played? I did just pull that up just because I knew you were going to ask. I have a, uh, a scant, a, 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 a minor amount of hours. I have 841 hours of EU4 played to date. Um, it's I love this game. It's fantastic. It's my favorite game of the past insert number here years before we start getting into the general changes uh i'm actually kind of curious like i've never considered you terribly i've never considered a strategy guy in the way like troy goodfellow is a strategy guy like you're kind of a generalist in games you play strategy games you play a lot of other stuff uh but i'm not sure i can think of another case where i've seen you uh click this hard this uh monomaniacally uh, with a game as as with the U4, I'm kind of curious. Like you've had a lot of time to reflect on this. What about this game? Like sort of dug its hook so deeply into you? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with with that idea. That you know, I, I've I've always loved strategy games, and I've played them for 20, 25 years. But it has always sort of been in a very casual sense. Obviously, you know, I played Civilization, and I did the whole you know one more turn deep into the night thing that you know countless others have done. Um, you know, this year, uh, you know, Endless Legend and uh, uh, Ultimate General Gettysburg; those were uh, absolutely great games that, that I played. But nothing has, as you say, connected with me uh, the way EU4 has. Uh, there's a couple of things I think I really, really that I, that are that are tantalizing uh, about this game, and one of the things that just makes sense to me, one of the things that just feels right consistently over and over again, is actually the pace of this game. Um, it, it's paced in a way where. I can get involved in a session and sort of control and throttle the amount of investment I have to have in or out of the game. Um, you know, it's it, it's a it's 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 a situation where I feel like I can dive in equally well on a night where I've just had you know I've I've been through the ringer at work. I've come in. The kids have like they they've blown up the kitchen. They they're running over with you know you, you know I need you to sign this thing that says I will never you know swear at the teacher again um and i can just come down and and kind of dial in and, and and relatively turn off but it also allows me to you know the other times where it's i really want to dig in i want to have a, a, a big strategy moment i want to go in and i want to try something extremely challenging you know i want to go in and say okay you know what this time i'm going to do the golden horde thing i'm going to be the golden horde i'm going to try and uh, you know westernize and take over all of russia and all of china to get the achievement which is you know 
you have to be on your game. You have to be paying attention. Um, it's just as easy to go in and play Big Blue Blob uh, as France or, you know, uh, have, you know, tons of vassals as Austria and just kind of check in and enjoy yourself as it is to find something that's really, really deeply challenging. And, and each experience to me feels both similar and familiar in a way that I love. I, I've always been a guy who, who once I find a game that feels familiar and feels like home to me, I, I want that experience to keep going. But it delivers a, a, a shift on that each time uh, that makes the experience. You know, I, I find myself getting to the end of a run and I'm already thinking, oh, now I really want to go back and play as this. Like, you know, or I want to go in and I, I, I want to, you know, go in and, and play as Tunisia now that they've updated all the, you know, the, the, the North African continent with a bunch of new areas and, and new uh, countries and, and, and new provinces and try and get that achievement or I'll be playing as uh, you know the Ottomans and think oh you know I really need to go do that India run I need to go in and and, and try and uh, take over India and you know as as uh, you know mall or something like that um, that's the that's the thing about it. It, it it's kind of endlessly entertaining at a pace that makes sense for the way I game something that another thing that I really enjoy and Maybe I understand this better now that I've had some frustrations with a game like um, Beyond Earth, for instance, mm -hmm. where yeah. suddenly one more turn just wasn't doing it for me anymore. I, f I felt like I was pulling, pulling the lever on a slot machine. Uh, it had that same sort of vibe. What I like here is that there are so many different goals you can set for yourself in a session, mm -hmm. in a game, that there are so many points where you can be like, look, I've got 15 minutes here to play. And I'm just going to execute a diplomatic realignment in these 15 minutes. Like, got to throw the old allies overboard because they're just not cutting it anymore <laughs> and get my new people. Um, and you can do that. Uh, and then if you have a little more time, suddenly you're like, well, I got these allies. Uh, maybe I should get ready for a war. So I'll prep for a war and, <laughs> and you know, get uh, cast a spell and then I'll be done. And I got a little more time. All right, I'm just going to rock these dudes now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invade. <laughs> but what I like is there are so many... <sighs> It, it matters a little bit. Like, it, it's not like just completing a building and then you're like, well, off to the next building. Mm -hmm. but it, it, it's it's more like the, the, the fulfillment of these goals is at once a little more inherently satisfying because they are sort of chaining together into this broader strategy. Uh, but in terms of pacing, they also give me this wonderful sense of a session of EU4 can be this three-hour marathon or it can be this totally satisfying, I have like 15 minutes before a phone call, I'm just going to do this. And it can be either of those experiences, and I've come to really, really enjoy that. I think that's part of what I'm saying is just the flexibility of the way you can approach the game. And and I'm not talking about, you know, you can speed it up to speed five or speed one. That's not really what I'm, I'm, I'm referring to. I think what's interesting is how much of what I am pursuing at any given moment is defined by me and not the game. And therefore, I can kind of set the pace associated with that. It isn't like I'm having some sort of, you know, most of the time. Uh, obviously, there can be situations like, you know, you're... You know, another country declares war on you, or you know you're 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 just you know coming up against a really tough opponent who's you know encroaching on your territory. But for the most part, the things that I'm trying to accomplish are in my head. So you know, it is I want to um, I want to annex this vassal 
or you know in in the next little bit so that I can have a border with this country so I can put the claim in on them so I can progress in you know that direction for whatever reason it's something I'm creating and I'm uh, setting up so that it does sort of automatically fit into my time schedule um, you know whatever that is whether I'm here for five minutes whether I'm here for ten minutes whether I'm here for mm, good solid eight hours you know just settle in and let's 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 roll uh you know and another thing i've come to really appreciate too and i, I started to discover this with european universalis 3 as well uh and a lot of the paradox games are really good at this they're very good at not making it feel like your session is irretrievably ruined yes. uh, if things do not go wrong like i have had games where it's like okay i'm going to become a continental superpower as you know, well, we'll say like say Burgundy. I've been playing Burgundy lately. I'm gonna mm -hmm. become a continental superpower as Burgundy, and I bite off way more than I can do, <laughs> and end up just getting just like sandwiched by Austria on the one mm -hmm. side and France on the other, and like half of Burgundy is just blown away, and I'm left with this like crappy little like, you know, basically basically like a Dutch a Dutch uh, rump state, as it were. That's all that's left of Burgundy. <laughs> I was like, okay, so. Now what? Because the Continental Superpower idea, that's gone. That's that's not... I could maybe try to bring that back, and it would take forever, and I'd be kind of a crappy, like, maybe a great power. But, like, the game's totally cool. He'd be like, all right, well, do you want to be a, you know, conniving politician of the Holy Roman Empire and maybe get revenge on Austria by sort of slowly, like, stealing control of the HRE out from under them? Do you want to become a trade superpower and mm -hmm. rich as hell? Do you want to become a colonist? And maybe, yeah. like, you know, Burgundy's destiny lies across the ocean. And all those things are totally different lines of play, totally different games, as a matter of fact. You don't have this horrible sense, like, that you often get in a lot of Forexes that are either Civ or borrowing from Civ, where it's like, well, I am two-thirds of the way through this game, and this session is totally tanked, and there's no point in continuing, because there's no, there's no goal I can achieve. There's nothing that will be satisfying for me to do now, because I have lost. Mm -hmm. And EU4 is like, well, yeah, play it as it lays. Do something else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's Burgundy's a great example because you can find yourself backed into a corner and just go, screw it. Now I'm the Netherlands. And now I have a whole new set of ideas and a government associated with it. And now, I, as it turns out, now suddenly I'm a naval superpower because, you know, I've got the, you know, trade nailed down in, in Lubeck and, and, and in the English Channel. And all of a sudden, you're a superpower in a different way. Like, you can... Uh, you know, th there's so many different ways that you can affect the game, which is interesting because it's also true of when you're playing it against the opponents. There's so many different ways that the intricacies of how the nations kind of, um, you know, lay themselves out will create obstacles or challenges or difficulties that are that are different than just the, oh, France is really big and has a lot of troops. Or, you know, oh, I can't attack anyone in the HRE because then Austria will bring everybody from Central Europe to attack me. You know, the Hans is a great example. The Hans is this sort of little, you start out as, I want to say, a four-province um, uh, uh, merchant republic uh, just, you know, right, right next to Denmark. And it's surprising 
surprisingly power. It's a surprisingly powerful nation for reasons that have nothing to do with how many provinces you have or how much you know discipline you have in your troops or their combat with or anything like that. They just have this kind of stranglehold on this really critical trade route in Northern Europe, and it gives them a huge amount of influence that that you can wield in a variety of ways. So let's actually, because that's actually something I want to talk about, is I feel like I love Europe and the Universalis for at launch, and that is still where most of my playtime came from. I have not kept up with it as, as much as you. Uh, and when, I, when it came out, I was impressed at how much more they'd done with, say, the trade game. Uh, they made more steps toward making, um, like, merchant states and trade republics, like, more viable. Mm-hmm. But I still kind of felt like at launch, it was still e- way easier and maybe more more satisfying and a little just easier to execute your plans if you just have more territory. If you just, you know, do you have troops, territory. Those were still kind of the, the, the main determinants for success. Like, Venice was a hard sell at the start mm-hmm. of the At EU4 at launch, I, like, I struggled mightily to make Venice, like, competitive um, in sort of the, you know, Italian Mediterranean shark tank. Uh, at the time, but they've changed all that quite a bit uh, over yeah. a series of expansions, and um, you know, EU4 is one of those things where the changes can be hard to detect if you're just sort of diving in and mucking around with, um, you know, if you're playing the Ottomans or Russia, for example, a lot of little changes are going to go right by you because fundamentally the game still feels the same. You're you got a billion dudes and a lot of territory, and you can just sort of play risk, but. A lot of the changes in U4 tend to be sort of subtle, like changes to a menu, slight changes to a trade interface, slight changes to the rules governing this stuff. Uh, So one of the things they seem to have put a lot of effort into is overhauling how merchant states work and trade works. And I'm kind of curious, like... How how like how would you describe those changes? Like what are what are the sort of, sort of big highlights? And do you think they've succeeded? Yeah, no. So uh, the big merchant republic changes came with wealth of nations primarily, where they added the, the merchant republics and a lot of the a lot more sort of the the trade interface. And and, and there was a couple of things they did. They 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 sort of recast the, and they've done this several times. The way trade flows through different nodes and different groups and and. It, you know, expanded that. They added a ton of, uh, of of sort of events, sort of behind-the-scenes events. And I think that's one of the things that often really goes most unnoticed is the impact of these, you know, sometimes random, sometimes triggered events and the way that they sort of manipulate and reward or hobble, um, you know, the, the balance between nations. So, you know, you look at somebody... Um, so, you know, a nation like Venice and those changes, you know, to the way and, and this is the thing there, there. There's a little bit here. There's changes at the way sort of naval work. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, of uh, difference between the way that, you know, you build a trade fleet and the way that you can kind of manage that trade fleet now versus when the game first came out. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's funny because. I'm so far at this point from original EU4 that in my head, it becomes difficult to sort of dial in, oh, what changed Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, how did that, how did that, you know, um, 
how how is it different now than it was? What I can say is that I know I think Venice is a great example. I remember yeah. trying to play Venice, probably is maybe my fourth run. Um, and you know, you you do the basic Venice stuff. You you know you try and you know appease Austria as much as you can, uh, since Venezia your 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 capital is not actually in the HRE. You're not you know protected by that um, sort of global shield. Uh, you go beat up Ragusa right at the beginning of the game to sort of secure that 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 line of expansion over there and then inevitably the ottomans came and destroyed me that was the story of a venice game at the time now part of that may be i wasn't as experienced as i am now and part of it probably is those changes the way and i think it really what it ultimately really really comes down to is they have consistently made it more and more difficult for large nations to acquire large tracts of land. They've made the way that you build a Casus Belli against another nation more difficult, particularly if you don't share a direct border. They've really upped the ante on the uh, the, the coalitions, um, particularly uh, if you're playing hard, um, so that, you know, it, it, you know, big countries that overreach will be ganged up on by a huge amount of small countries surrounding it, and usually uh, to their detriment. So, it, 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 I think the big change to particularly like merchant states like Venice and and, and sort of the smaller province, you know, smaller minor uh, uh, nations is simply that they've taken the they've taken a gear out of the out of, out of the out of the gearbox for large nations to just be able to very quickly in the game start eating up countries around them and i think that allows what it is and the reason i bring that up is because i don't think the fundamental a lot of the fundamental gameplay of a nation that's you know really engaged in trade or wants to be heavily into diplomacy has actually changed all that much. It definitely has, but it's not a huge change. It's the fact that their ability to impact those ideas and those strategies is unlocked because they are not constantly at the at, at gunpoint in the way that they have been. That's a really good point. And something I noticed in the last couple of times I played, and I, 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 it feels like it's operating differently now, is at launch... I really admire the use of coalitions because one of the problems that U4 always had was that it was really tough for AI to work collective. There was a collective action problem among the AI where mm -hmm. it was like, if you could just sort of pick them off one by one, they would never really cotton on to the fact that you were actually coming for all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you could always, you could basically play an entire game basically being like Hitler in 19, you know, 35, 36. Yeah, you know, exactly. always just being like, yeah, that's just mine, and this will be mine, <laughs> but then we'll be cool. And you just chill out for a couple of years, and it's all good. Um, and so coalitions were introduced... But I feel like at launch, there were these like almost purely defensive things that were like total breaks on your progress. Like, okay, now if you try to do anything against these coalition members, uh, you'll be fighting all of them. So you probably just need to wait out until they lose interest in the coalition. Now the coalition seems to have become much more proactive now. Like there's, an, there's offensive coalitions that, mm -hmm. that come into play in a way I, wasn't, I don't remember seeing at launch, uh, which is like, you know, again, like playing Burgundy very recently, um, I basically kneecapped France. It was beautiful. Um, it was just, it was just extraordinary. Like, <laughs> tell me all about it. It sounds delicious. <laughs> oh no, it was, it was just one of those. It was one of those wonderful things in EU4 where you just sort of keep like you just arrange everything so that when your moment arrives, 
you will be ready. Mm-hmm. And so I had allied with Brittany. I had allied with uh, Castile. I had allied with Savoy. And I had allied with Aragon. Um, so that's that's everybody then, right? Yeah, I had just basically <laughs> ringed France with allies. Now some of the allies yeah. were less committed than others, but sure, like they were all allied to me. So I was I was the linchpin, and I watched France. Uh, first of all, they got they the, the English renewed uh, their attempts to reestablish their foothold in the continent with the Portuguese. I was like, maybe this is my moment. I waited. I waited. <laughs> and then the French engaged in basically trying to um, bring all of Italy to heel. They went to war with Naples and just got Ooh. sucked. Entire armies just went down to the Italian peninsula. The war with England was still raging. I was like, okay, time to start buying mercenaries. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I, like their, their foreign policy exploded. Uh, and they overcommitted themselves drastically. And uh, once I saw Castile would accept the call to arms, I was like, now we go. And uh, occupied all of France uh, and just crushed them and fought mostly with mercenaries. Um, and then I screwed up uh, because I was like, <laughs> I basically, I, I was basically like uh, France after World War One. I. I was like, I will make sure this generational enemy can never rise. And so I was just like, you're you're transferring transferring your, some of your vassals to me. Mm. Uh, you're giving me a couple regions uh, so that I can connect all the Burgundian provinces. Uh, you're releasing these other vassals, and they're just independent now. Um, blah blah blah. And uh, the moment I did that, it was awesome. And then within two weeks, Austria had a huge coalition against me, declared war. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I, I, it looks like I might be screwed, but like Aragon and Castile are on my side, and so is like Brittany. Uh, basically, I've launched World War One in fourteen eighty, <laughs> sure, uh, which is sweet. But what, what what was new here was that I was playing by my old understanding of the game, which was yeah, coalitional form. But like, it's not, like I'm just I'm just going to be like sort of consolidating my territory, and I'll just wait it out. Because it doesn't be work great. like that anymore. No, no. The moment like my reputation was bad enough, Austria is like, all right, coalition war, let's go. And now I'm in it. Uh, the nightmare of a coalition war, of course, is you can't do separate pieces. Right. Um, so now we're just all, you know, all the marbles. Uh, so it's, 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 it's good times. But it's also very different from what it was. Just like in these little diplomatic interactions, the AI has seem, it seems much cannier about like when they've got to bring you down. And, and, you know, the one one of the things I like about this, and it's been challenging to go through these iterations, there's, you know, particularly Paradox has seemed very deliberate about finding out when players are using some sort of gamey mechanic as a game when they're just sort of abusing something and they just obliterate it. They they. They really come in with a, you know, I, I, what feels at the time often like a heavy hand, um, and in some cases has been. But, you know, later on, what I begin to realize is, you know, thinking about coalitions and thinking, you know, through the more recent changes to, um, to being able to get allies into war has become a lot more difficult. Being able to uh, take large pieces of land, you know, the the aggressive expansion penalty of that is more significant. The uh, overextension impact of that is more significant, particularly if you have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, areas under unrest, is that it is forcing me in a good way to think in a global strategic perspective. You know, what, what, what early EU4 allowed you to do that 
current EU4 doesn't seem to allow you to do as much is to simply become myopic and really begin to just think in a specific linear path. Okay, all my attention is on France, right? You know, I'll get to this HRE yeah. stuff later. I'm not worried about that. I'm focused on France. And then you see an opening and you take it. Um, but then you can, you you make the same mistake that, that you know, countless other nations throughout history and throughout games I've played do, which is you overextend yourself. You do the exact same thing that gave you the opportunity to take on France to begin with. And that the AI takes advantage of that now, or mm -hmm. even if they don't declare war, they you know, those massive coalitions can have a real impact to the way you're going to be, uh, you know, interfacing with the game for... 50, 100 years of game time. Um, it makes you think about it makes you think about the global aspect of it. You can't get sort of locked into a one-dimensional style of approach. It makes you do all the things. It makes you pay, continue to pay attention to trade, continue to pay attention to diplomacy. You can't just say, I'm going to get all the, the, the warmongering ideas and to hell with diplomatic reputation and better, you know, relations over time. I'm not worried about that because it will it will punish you. Absolutely. And I think one reason that the game seems a little more dynamic than it used to is I feel a little more encouraged to play with all the tools because now mm -hmm. nations are so much more diverse than they were. Something that's been really interesting is, again, at launch, it was kind of only the really important nations had sort of unique identities. And everyone else is kind of just an ethnic group, you know? Like, mm -hmm. okay, Prussia gets ideas, but there's a lot of like just crap German states that we don't care about. So they just get the Germanic ideals and, you know, they're whatever. Uh, you know, so a lot of like lesser powers just didn't really have distinctive identities, even if they were kind of important historically. And uh, it, was, it was kind of like the big guys were the ones who had like clear distinctive faction bonuses and, and mm -hmm. national ideas. And everyone else was kind of forced to share from this common pool. Now it seems like there's a lot more. Um, individual identities. You're not just some sort of Germanic trade republic in the Baltic. You're you're you you are, uh, you know, you you are Utrecht. You are you know you are you are some you you are these these small little statelets. You're and you have these unique identities now, and a lot of times those. It's interesting for a game that gives you so much freedom. I do like the way these different nations sort of push you in these different lines of play. Like if you're playing Burgundy as distinct from France. Um, France is the big blue blob. Like yes. a lot of their powers are designed to let you be Louis the Fourteenth and Napoleon throughout the game, uh, and that's and that's kind of what you're about. But if you're like Burgundy, which kind of used to be just a poor man's France in a lot of ways and a mm -hmm. harder starting position, um, now you're much more of a you know neither fish nor fowl uh, type of state with some, some trade powers. And so, like a lot of countries like this are encouraged. You know, okay, well, you get bonuses to mercenaries, but you also get some trade bonuses, but you still have some good military ideals and stuff like that. So here's this, here's your toolbox, here's your, here's your, your specializations. Uh, and just like an RPG character, you can play to the strengths or you can try to multi-class, but it, 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 I kind of like how much more dynamic I'm allowed to be 
before it could feel like the game had paralyzed you once those coalitions formed or something against you. It was like, well, you just got to sit in the penalty box until the timer runs down. <laughs> and now it's it, it sort of seems like E4 is much more of a game where like, cool, can't keep attacking everyone. Well, you got to get peacetime sometime. Why don't you enjoy the fruits of peace? Why don't you start your trade game? Why don't you go exploring? And I love that. Yeah, I, and I would even extend that a little bit to say that they've one of the things they've really done well that I've enjoyed that I didn't know I was going to enjoy early on or wasn't expecting to is how much they've added outside of the European sphere. Um, you know, going and playing as a, a Indian miner, um, you know, or, or even, I always forget the name, Vienge, Vijani, yeah, there's a kind of big yellow one in the middle, um, you know, or to play uh, as one of the Daimos of Japan, um, or to head down into, you know, the uh, to, to Brunei and, and, and try and conquer into, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the south of Asia, um, mm -hmm. or, or the African states, or the, you know, even the, they, they had their first major update was to really add this entire layer of the early game to the Native American uh, groups in uh, North and South America. Um, and they all have, like, to your point, they all have identities and even to some degree, you know, their own interesting mechanics, the way um, that, 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 uh, uh, Buddhist nations work is interesting in its own way and the way that uh, the Chinese states have their own sort of mechanics here and there um, even like the Mongol hordes even if they don't have their own specific mechanics the way that they balance you know the 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 differences of the way that your 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 nation functions and all of a sudden you know you're you're as as the golden horde you have to kind of constantly be on the attack because you you have all these you know immediate cast allies against other uh, horde nations and you get this ridiculous bonus to um, to looting provinces but you don't generate a lot of money from your own provinces it's a whole it's like a whole different game well, in a way. yeah and like the volatility of of like if you're playing a western european nation you can have this whole like i'm the great chess master and my mm -hmm. my dynasty will stretch for like 500 years and i will make all these maneuvers uh, and it'll be great but if you're the horde if, if you're if you're some sort of like uh horde faction basically like a step a, a step tribe mm -hmm. sort was sort of as a, happened historically just when you're just rolling hard you're like <laughs> i'm just going to command this like empire that stretches from sea to sea it's going to be great and it's like oh yeah your ruler's dead and um now you got to go to the big ent moot and uh <laughs> and now it's gonna be civil war time because it turns out that nobody actually thinks your son should be you're, you know you're basically yep. like you've got you've got call drogo's son and no one gives a shit <laughs> No, it's. I mean that, but that's that's the beauty of it is that uh, that that like it, it has its own identity. Then it really it's been encouraging to go try these areas of the world that I never thought I I, I would have had interest in. I uh, played as uh, a Central African nation recently. I was going after one of the achievements. Um, I'm blanking on which which one. And they've added. You know, it used to just be like two or three you know, kind of big nations. I remember in, in early EU4, um, those nations were essentially just 
the the place you'd rush to so you could attack them and they'd have like 2000 gold um that you could just take from them and then you'd be you know if you were portugal you're like okay now i'm rich forever it'd be super easy i'm gonna colonize everything thanks a lot uh molly i really appreciate it um but now they have these you know their own interactions and their own sort of interesting dynamics and 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 it it isn't as simple as it used to be you never and, and when you see one of my favorite things to do is to kind of watch what the ai is doing in places where i'm not impacting as i play a game because it'll become you know it'll do something completely different each map has you know its own you know mo most recently i was playing a game where rush is kind of completely marginalized in between a Novgorod that survived um, and Kazan, which is just sort of blown up and, and, and is allied with the Timurids and is essentially uh, charging ever, ever uh, eastward into China, um, which you never saw that in early, you know, the early stages of EU4. It'd always be, okay, Russia's going to get really big. The Ottomans are going to get really big. France is going to get really big. Um, and maybe somebody like Poland might survive. Yeah, I always love that too. When like your your map awareness increases and you see more of the world, yeah, and suddenly it's like it's messed up, and you're like, what, what happened here? <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's like you get home, your kids have destroyed the house, and, and you're like, what? Like, I'm not angry, but I'm really curious. I'm just surprised. I'm not angry. I'm just I'm just surprised. Why why is the why are the Timurids in in uh, in Constantinople? Why are they there? That's not supposed to be like that. Yeah, exactly. Like this this uh this this Nova Scotia that basically is Scotland <laughs> but all of America. That that seems interesting. That's, well done. That's a different. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm actually intrigued to hear you say that like you you've started playing a lot of the um, non-European factions because mm -hmm. uh, for me EU4 I've always played it more as a European strategy game. Uh, I'm very Eurocentric in my play. Uh, it's, it's like it's the history I know best. It's the it's, these are the characters that that I know by name and I play around with them a lot. Um, but I also think going back to EU3. The non-European parts of the game tend to be a lot less well articulated yes. uh, than the European parts of the game. And when when they did try to sort of extend things out, uh, like with uh, Divine Wind, which sort of introduced, uh, in, in EU3, sort of introduced, uh, you know, the, the Asian powers of uh, mostly focusing on China and Japan, I felt like... It just it, it felt a little bolted on in part because it hadn't been there from the ground up. Uh, mm -hmm. So it interests me to hear you say that, like... EU4 now is this really, uh, you know, it, basically it's this entirely different experience now if you just take it, if you drop the E part and mm -hmm. focus on the universal, uh, if, you, if you start going elsewhere, that turns into this different strategy game. What, what, yeah, and one thing that I, I like about it, particularly if you, you know, it's one thing if you go into a game and you're just like, oh, I'm going to conquer the world. Inevitably, you're going to make some sort of basically European choices. But you know, I love the idea of being able to play as, um, you know, uh, you know, when it was, again, maybe one of the, one of the Japanese daimos, um, you know, and I'm just focused on, I want to just unify Japan uh, and then maybe try and, and get a foothold on mainland China. And I'm never really going to interact with or be, you know, in many cases, seriously impacted by this whole Europa 
component, right? I'm not, you know, I may suddenly find that, oh, Spain is trying to colonize down in, you know, in the Philippines or somewhere like that. Um, but but for the most part, it becomes a, a very different game because there are very different players who are acting very, very differently. And I kind of love that because it is it is much more fleshed out. And that's the important part is that there it does feel like a viable game. And I think I think starting off with the um, with the uh, the expansion, the first expansion, being the what was it something conquest of, of paradise conquest of paradise um and, and making some clear decisions about okay how are we going to create a viable scenario for countries that aren't designed to get to level 32 in all of their technologies how are we going to con- continue to make that an interesting experience and they did that with the with the you know the aztecs and the native american tribes and they've sort of extended that each time into a different region uh, most recently africa uh, india um and, and it's really fun i enjoy it a lot something i was worried about with that though I'm not worried it's just i think one problem i always had with that is i always sort of felt like okay so say I, like i start playing the iroquois and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm gonna really like I'm gonna really get things in order here. Like there's gonna be a cool Iroquois Empire. It'll be great. Yeah, but still, chances are Europeans are gonna show up and just flatten you, uh, you know, in the space of a couple generations. Yeah, but th- this is why this is sort of the secret um really important change and a lot of people really frustrated a lot of people become really frustrated with the colonization game because now when you go over and you colonize as portugal or whatever what you'll do is you'll colonize you know five or six provinces and suddenly that will turn into you know equatorial portugal which you no longer control that is now a it's essentially like a vassal of yours but you're not you're not mm. in direct control of it the way you were. Now, it had, they have a lot of trade impact, and they're still your ally, and it's still really interesting because when everybody – and it, it actually works out pretty smart. When everybody ends up colonizing, you can be – let's say you're Spain and Portugal, and you have these um, – uh, these these colonial nations, and you go to war with Portugal, and they go to war with each other. But it's not suddenly Spain coming in and saying, okay, and, and I have all of this northeastern United States, and I'm going to you know, I'll get to Portugal later. I'm just going to create all these, you know, uh, wars against these minor Indian tribes. Um, it doesn't work like that anymore. And I thought that was a really... It's it, 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 it a more place you can get your, a wedge in. Yeah, it actually is creating a, it is creating a wedge. It does, I have to agree, it does make colonization, playing the colonization game itself, a little less fun. Um, but I think it actually, it, it's an expense worth having because now you can, because these, you know, it, it it gives the AI an incentive, in fact, to begin to consider allying or, you know, treating these uh, Native American uh, or, or Central American nations as an ally of their own. It gives them more incentive to open diplomatic relations than it does to try and find a way to just take them over. Interesting. Yeah, because um, yeah, that... That that is a little more encouraging, uh, because certainly in the, in in the previous game, going back to the, you know, like EU three, it was basically just kind yeah. of a like just kind of to, because it's there, uh, game <laughs> where you'd be like, if I if I'm really good, I can get something done here before the Europeans show up and, and just crush us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of cool that that there there's more going on here, and that it was always a bit unrealistic that 
a bit silly that these colonial nations were like responding to like the central command hub of like the European <laughs> exactly. mother nation where it's like, okay, everybody, you know, everybody and uh, everyone in the Bahamas, get ready, launch the ships, go, go, go. <laughs> that, that was always this weird contrivance and really ahistorical. Like there's, I think there's cases of like different Spanish colonies or Portuguese colonies, like actually fighting each other and like getting into basically open warfare yeah, I think so it was, it was, yeah, it's kind of nifty that you that you have those changes. Yeah, I I I really enjoy it. Um, primarily just because, again, I think it it, it expands the options. They've also made um, westernizing uh, a more easier, not easy, but easier for for you know less advanced nations. So um, you know, even if the even if AI Spain kind of figures out a way to sort of break through this buffer, usually you as a uh, as as the Iroquois or somebody like that can actually westernize against the colonial nation um, and get yourself in a position to be at least competitive. You're not going to you're not going to suddenly unless you're you know really uh, really good. Um, you're not going to suddenly sail across the Atlantic and start laying Iroquois provinces right you know on the coast of Britain Those or anything such games like that. Have happened. Those such games have happened. In fact, there's there's absolutely an achievement for uh, the 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 sunset um, sunset invasion if you if you can take over certain areas as the Aztecs. Um, but it does again. There's both the buffer and some some gameplay mechanics that allow you more control and more uh, opportunity to not just get steamrolled. Uh, do you, when when you play now? Do you do you tend to opt for randomizing the new world, or do you go classic uh, actual geography? I do. I I probably haven't even considered randomizing the new world in you know months. It it, it was a cool idea. Um, it just didn't it didn't play out very well and uh, you know it, it just looks wrong i mean it's a really weird aesthetic thing but it it just looks wrong and it looks kind of all you know chunky and yeah and frankly again because there are the changes with the colonial nations um and, and colonizing you don't spend as much time kind of looking at it anyway and really fiddling with stuff because now even as you do expand some colonial nation will kind of step in and say okay we're you know uh um, you know, Castilian America or something like that, and we'll do our own thing, and we'll send you money. Don't worry about it. You don't even have to check on us. Uh, so there's no real there's no real incentive at this point to do the randomizing, for me. Yeah, I, I think something that it, it, it's been interesting in the last couple of years watching a lot of the attention. Still, I think to this day, Crusader Kings Two tends to be the more mm -hmm. fashionable uh, of of the games uh, th that's out there. It gets because it's got a lot of things that that people love right now, which is sort of like you know emergent narrative, um, sandbox systems where you know you can just sort of set it running and starts generating weird events. And there's lots of like mm -hmm. is Easter eggy event chains and everything. And that's and that's really cool. And I, I admire that that game that game a great deal. And in a lot of ways, I feel, though, that's also an easier task for expansions because you can just throw more stuff, like, throw more story, more stuff. Like, okay, now we're going to add a lot more detail to this other group of people that we kind of abstracted earlier. And now we're really, really going to deep dive into what is the life of a, uh, you know, what is the inner life of a sultan's court? Yeah. EU4, I think, had this really tricky task, and I, I think they've managed it quite well. How did how were you going to improve on something that was already felt pretty fit and finished? I think I even said when we first talked about this game on, on Three Moves Ahead that I was like, I don't 
like I wasn't sure how the paradox model was going to work with this one because it felt like they'd really taken everything they learned from EU three, put it in EU four, and it, it felt kind of done. And <laughs> at this point, we are four major expansions in, and they're still changing a lot of major systems and sort of refining them in a way that the game feels better. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a steadily improving game, um, you know, from, from something that was already in really, really good shape. You know, I, it's interesting you bring up Crusader Kings. Um, I talked about that actually on this week's episode of, of our podcast. And I was saying that, um, I think Crusader Kings 2 is probably one of the best role-playing games, genuinely role-playing games of the past several years. In its current state, sort of in its fully fleshed-out state, it really is it's a much more personal game, and I think you're absolutely right. There is a lot of opportunity to expand sort of a, a, a uh, emergent narrative-driven delivery system that doesn't, doesn't happen in the same way uh, for EU4. I do think, you know... Ultimately, I, I, I think the great the great idea that really identified EU4 as distinct and different enough and, and kind of worth the uh, worth being there as opposed to just oh let's continue to develop EU3 uh, it, it is two things. First, they did such an amazing job, and this is this this has always been the barrier for me of making the game systems approachable and manageable and understandable. The you know from the user interface to the way you know that 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 things lay out and the the, the manipulation of the world and the manipulation of what you want to accomplish. It, it really is a much much cleaner system, I feel like, than EU three was, which you know kind of you know suffered from the the, the historic problems of. Of, of, of this genre, which is just kind of layer upon layer upon layer of increasingly inapproachable, um, um, you know, context menus or, you know, I think of a game like uh, Hearts of Iron 3, which I still can't play. I can't play it. I get in there and I get into their um, their technology systems or the industry so systems. So largely slider-driven, like, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just I it just doesn't connect in the same way. And and attached to that, I think the big the big thing that EU4 does really well which makes it its own game and identifies it as its own game is the uh, the the royal points, the administrative points, um military points, diplomatic points that are so closely tied with your king and with your um and with the way you sort of structure your uh, advisors um is a really simple approachable mechanic that leads into everything else and plays a role into everything else. So it, it sort of creates this this uh, center for all the spokes to come out from. You can begin if you begin by thinking about just these three numbers at the top of the screen, then you have gotten to at least you know the the, the candy coated center yep. of the thing you need, and then you can explore out from there. And I think that was a re you know the the basic game itself isn't that different right it's pick a nation play as it pretend you're you know take them through uh the renaissance and the early industrial era and you know see what happens um but it is the way it's interacting the game is interacting with you both in this interface and the way it structures this mechanic into something very very cent central and simple that is quickly and easy quickly easy to understand um that was the big difference to me yeah i would i would agree with that i, I think 
making it more of a clear choice driven system rather than sort of these arcane sliders uh, was mm-hmm. crucial in connecting it to those three different values of administration, diplomatic, and military points. Um, was really important because it made it a very clear one-to-one transaction. It made the, it made the entire game more transactional, where it's not like, mm-hmm. hey, you kind of are prioritizing Navy, but also a little trade. And look, just just jerk these sliders around until it feels right. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually. Um, whereas the, the, the buttons are, are, are just like, look, you can, you can do A or B, uh, but you do mm-hmm. A, you won't have enough for B until some more time passes. So what do you want to do? And the nice thing about it is, is the complexity is actually still there. There, there are, they are valuable decisions, and they have ramifications that that spread out, um, you know, in in an equally complex and interesting way. I think it's just the consciousness of a delivery system that makes it something where you can perceive a choice and perceive the the key indicators of that choice and make it and see what happens. Um, and it encourages you to begin to understand those levels. Okay, now why did that happen? When you did that and spent those points, you know, in that place or you, you know, connected uh, or, or, or had this diplomatic interaction with this nation, why did the, the things that transpired happen? And they remain understandable, right? They're not invisible. It's not like the, 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 the gray areas in between the black and the white aren't there. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't make you say, it doesn't necessarily make you look at those gray areas right away. It leaves the cho- the initial choice as something a little bit more simple. And then as you're encouraged to kind of continue to understand the game systems more and more and more, and then you're actually playing the same game. You're playing the same slider game in the end. You're just doing it by, you know, more discrete choices that are are easier to begin to digest early on. Well, and it helps tremendously that um, the prompts that come up, if you click on the notifications for stuff that's going on, it always takes you to the exact menu to handle the yep. problem, which is actually, it's a, it's a small thing, but it's actually really important because, like, suddenly you realize, like, oh, man, I really need those administrative points to sort of, like, tighten, like, lock things down in the Empire. <laughs> uh, but I also need them to make progress, but, like, man, my new subjects hate me. And so immediately you're sort of like, oh, I, I, like I can, like, am I going to be playing the long game or just, like, putting a band-aid on these problems i don't know but it always directs you to the core the 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 crux of the matter uh the interface itself is like here's your choice and that's really helpful i wish more strategy games uh could be designed in in a way that in a way where that's that's what happens and actually they've the, the expansions the patches that have been coming have been getting much better about that they're they're They've been very conscious of of trying to expose more core information you need to make a decision or understand a decision. Um, you know, who was it? There was, uh, uh, I think, Quill18 mm-hmm. recently put out that video about here's 10 simple things to add to Europa Universalis 4 that would just make the game easier to understand. It's not... You know, it wasn't big changes, but like, show us, you know, the 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 uh, the coring value or or the uh, the war value of a province, and allow us when we kick off a, uh, a a ship into a trade fleet that it just connects with the trade fleet that's already there. And they've been really receptive to that. I think you know they of that that he he requested. There were like six or seven immediately yeah. added into the next batch. Um, so. 
yeah, so I, I think it's that level of it takes you to the right place and then it presents you with information uh, in, in, in layers that aren't inapproachable but are comprehensive. Yeah. Um, he says as a guy who played 840 hours and it all seems so simple. Yeah, that's now. true. So, I mean, Makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit like Let's let's just talk about trade. Uh, you know, re yeah. revisit that a little bit because it sort of felt like at the start it was sort of a different game, but didn't feel wholly tight. It was like there were different games in EU four that sort of lived next to each other, but didn't really interact all all the time. Like you know, mm -hmm. if, like basically someone was playing a trade game and someone else was playing like kind of a conquest game. Well, they, they didn't really have much interaction or even reason to interact or if you were dealing with another trade nation you were kind of limited to am i just going to try to go straight for the throat and like haha now i'm going to kill these german traders uh and it will be you know now 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 france you know now france will be the king of the trade lanes or uh denmark will be the king of the king of trade it, it sort of felt like these things Things either didn't interact or your only interaction options were these really like blunt force trauma solutions to problems. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely seems like they've tried to give a lot more nuance to both the reasons why and the ways that nations will come into conflict. You know, it's it's funny because I would say at launch trade was the weakest sort of core mechanic of the game now fortunately it was a thing you could basically ignore you could you could simply not engage in it at all and do something else entirely and never really suffer for it um and, and I, I you know I'm grateful for that because one of the, you know one of the things uh, you know I, I've, I've walked some people through early on uh, trying to learn the game um, and I said uh, one of the first things I say is just don't worry about trade we're not doing trade right now that's that's yeah. that's kind of out there they've been diligent about trying to add and refine and get better at the trade game you know adding you know, obviously adding the merchant republics and and really kind of having the uh you know wealth of nations was very focused on trade um they've revamped all the trade lanes over and over again you know suddenly seville is an end node as opposed to you know not an end node you know it, it, it was interesting because they had this for a while they had this uh, they they added in this um, Atlantic trade node, um, which was sort of out in the middle of the ocean, uh, which wasn't there at launch to kind of to be a, a, a gateway between the new world uh, and, and the old world and then try and kind of create this conflict point. Um, and then the very next or like two patches later, they took it back out. Um, so I think, you know, I, I say trade was the weakest uh, major mechanic at start. I think it actually still is. Mm. I think it's much better. I think everything has moved forward, um, but I still think trade is is weak. And, and I heard somebody say this recently, and, and it feels right to me. I think there's a fundamental issue that makes the trade game a little less 
interesting that I want it to be, and that it is so fixed. It, it these trade the the trade nodes make a lot of sense, and they're kind of cool as a gameplay mechanic because you can put merchants in them, and you can, uh, you know, you can you can you know manipulate your trade fleet in certain ways. But they are always in the same mm -hmm. direction. It's always you know this trade node feeds this trade node feeds this trade node, and it's really really inflexible um, to the point that it doesn't give you a lot of really interesting decisions. It's just okay. Uh, I have these trade nodes are sort of in my sphere of influence. I have a lot of uh, markets and stuff I've put in there. Um, that's where I'm going to put my merchants. So, or I'm going to put my merchants just outside of them to funnel trade in. Um, and now I now I make money. Okay, I guess I'm going to go back to the rest of the game. It doesn't. There isn't a lot of there. There isn't much sort of shifting influence. It, it, it's all, and it's all really tied to sort of power of nation, right? Big nation, many provinces uh, equals a lot of impact in a trade node. The uh, Bordeaux trade node for France is a great example. It's really easy to very quickly just be France and okay. Now I never have to think of that trade node again because nobody has any meaningful influence into right. it. I think they changed the London trade node for that. reason reason right and made that the an english channel trade node so that you know france had to have yeah. sort of more impact but but ultimately all they're doing is sort of moving the sphere of influence in there moving these these kind of fixed points around from patch to patch but I, 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 you know, I, I use it. I understand it. Um, I don't dislike it, but I, I still think it's probably the weakest mechanic, major mechanic of the game. Interesting. Um, what would you want from 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 trade i'm i'm curious because like for me i think i think it works because well the trade like the trade routes do kind of they are going to kind of exist like there's always going to be trade flowing roughly along these lines is historically um and mm -hmm. the exact center of what that trade might be yeah that moves right like you know one day it's venice that's the heart of trade in the mediterranean you know in, in the mediterranean you know another year it's uh you know it, it's uh, like you know Florence or Genoa or something like that but I think it's for me it's not so much the 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 geographic inflexibility of the trade nodes because I would also disagree a little bit that they're that inflexible mm -hmm. because the thing is like yeah France can dominate the Bordeaux trade node other people can dry that thing up you know what I mean like that you can mm -hmm. basically have so much trade redirected away from that somewhere else uh that you know, some of these really easy, low-hanging fruit trade nodes can be completely unproductive because, well, just nobody really trades there. They they're, they don't matter that much. For me, I think my where I become a little more curious about it is what what is good about doing trading in itself in this game? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, for me, it's kind of the question yeah. of okay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a trade power what, what what do i what do i do with that and a lot of times well you can spend your money on more mercenaries and amass even more trade power but it becomes kind of the circular like yeah but how do i spend this currency what do i do with this with this uh, trade ability and a lot of times it just sort of def ends up defaulting into like sort of colonial game uh because hey you're 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 out there and you're you're naval oriented to begin with but i'm always a little bit of a loss as to well i'm either going to start becoming a mercenary kingdom or I'm just going to sit here and count my money. Right. And one of the things they did, so I have two thoughts around that. One of the things they, they did, which I think is a step in the right direction is they added, um, they added like trade conflicts and the ability to, uh, to have more choices when you're making peace with a, you know, or, or, 
you know, bringing bringing some nation that you've just destroyed to its heels yeah. to really impact that trade flow, which is which is good. It means you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I'm, I was recently uh, right now I'm playing a game as Denmark. I'm trying to uh, reestablish the Dane law region of England, but in the short term, um, I wanted to. I, I wanted to have Novgorod release Finland so I could feed Finland to Sweden, which is a vassal of mine uh, or a, uh, a personal union of mine. But Novgorod is way over here and I have nothing to go get them with. So essentially what I did is create a trade conflict. I created a, a Casa Spelli um, using a trade conflict, you know, started a war with them just as Muscovy started beating them up uh, and, and did exactly that. It was nice to have that level of sort of the trade yeah. wars component. I think the extension, the next extension of that is to actually make tie the trade, uh, you know, tie trade and the your power within trade um, to other diplomatic options. It would be great to be able to say, you know what, I'm Venice, I control the Venetian trade node, uh, Austria in the, the Wien trade nor node, you really need us to be able to, you know, not lose a bunch of money or to have some sort of trade influence. And to be able to use that as leverage uh, against Austria or Bavaria or Bohemia in other diplomatic areas. Like, it should be a, you know, maybe a, a nation is more likely to ally with you or more likely to join a war if you threaten to cut off their trade. You know, something like that. Yeah. Something where it's it's more dynamic into the other components of the game um, rather than just, you know, war's great. Like, that's, that's a step in the right direction. That wasn't there before. Um, but broaden that out, thicken that out, and then trade really begins to come become more interesting to me. When it, because what I really want is for that currency to be a tool in other areas of the game, other arsenals, you know, rather than just, ha you know, money's great, um, but to have influence in a region or to, you know, have a particularly strong ally because that ally is relying on, on your, 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 your funneling trade to their main node. You know, I think maybe part of it is what would be nice is if AI nations used money more aggressively like right now things they're not good at that yeah like i i, I think it'd be more fun if people like it'd be nice if like you know dutch bankers showed up if you're in the middle of war and be like hey you you you, you need a loan and like, yeah. yeah yeah i do and it'd be cool like if later you know that if that could come with strings or affect the relationships more directly or you could start playing like you know start like playing puppet master with some of the like war goals like no i'm sorry we're not going to let you like you know, we'll call in loan right now. Uh, if, mm -hmm. if that's the case, it'd be, it'd be neat if some of this, if some, if, if there were some ways to. There's a lot of tools for using money in the game. Nobody really seems to use them much because no. uh, you can always take a loan from the magic bank that everyone has access to, uh, which which maybe is actually one of the problems, right? You always have this endless supply of capital uh, just right there at hand. When really historically, no, 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 the capital came from somewhere else in a lot of cases, like. There were often, unless you were a massive mercantile power, there were often foreign uh, investors that, y that you, you at least were somewhat answerable to. You know, I think Paradox, uh, this is, one of the, again, one of the areas where I think they 
will probably have to revisit something they've done before. They backed themselves into a, a necessary corner. I understand why, but very early on, um, the, the game's AI has never really handled money very well. And so one of the really great early exploits was out there was you could go in and be a rich nation and go offer Hungary um, a, a loan when they're short on cash. Um, they would accept it, and then you'd wait five years. They would default on that loan, and all of a sudden you can go to war with them, even though they're maybe you know not connected like to your to your to your uh, nation. They're not you don't have a border with them. It was a great yeah. way very early on to just get quick and easy uh, reasons to go to war um, with nations that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. And so what they, essentially what happened is Paradox simply said, okay, the AI isn't going to really interact with the player yeah. anymore any when it comes to money at all. Um, and that's where that I think that falls in. I yeah. think that's that's you're absolutely right. Is that's a, that does feel like a shortcoming. It feels I mean you know I, it's a big problem. I, I understand why they went that route. I'm sure the the fix to get the AI to really understand economic models in a very strong way and how to be savvy in interacting with the player in in an economic fashion. Um, Probably not a super easy fix, no. uh, but but it, it definitely is a gap. The the one other thing I did want to say about about trade um, and, and and a weak point for it, um, or just an area where I think there's there's an opportunity to do something better, and I don't know the solution here is you know each province has some um, trade uh, item that it's it's primarily interacting with, like you know whether it's silk or salt or or yeah. grain or you know whatever. And those just, I, they, they feel relatively meaningless. Mm -hmm. And that's another area where I think it can be fleshed out. It's just, it, it becomes just sort of a value um, to influence total, you know, trade goods in that region. It, it just becomes essentially like a multiplier. And so all of a sudden, these complex sort of uh, trade needs, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, over the different ages, yeah. like, wouldn't it be great if there was more focus on, you know, silk as the Silk Road begins to open? And that becomes this sort of huge need and the way that 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 provinces or countries with that uh, that trade good, uh, have, you know, grow or wane in power or, or authority. Uh, it just seems like there's an opportunity there to flesh that out as well, because right now it's essentially just um, it's just a little little icon at the bottom of your screen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and certainly the way I tend to play is. I get a lot of money. It's going into Mercs. And once I got Mercs, <laughs> like, you know, it's time to start making people my subject nations. Uh, just, I have, I, I have a thing I like to do. We'll just put it that way. I have a style. I, I, it's, you know what? You have your, your, your modus up. This is why you want to be in uh, the big European nations. Because yeah. you can just load up on Mercs. And now all of a sudden, Aragon works for me. But they, I still feel, by the way, there's too many Mercs in the game sometimes. Like I kind of feel like... They're so easy to get. And they're just like every month They're just they signing just... up to die in your wars. Like, boy, you're really getting your ass kicked by like Russia and like Austria and Denmark. You need a hand with that? It's like, yeah, because I just got like 50,000 mercenaries killed horribly uh so if you, if you guys could just join the line yeah by all means oh and it's great if, if you have a nice border with russia and you 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 know like you've beaten their army down initially um but all of a sudden you need to go uh um invade them in the middle of winter no skin off your back you just send Thirty thousand mercenaries and spread them out and let them eat winter attrition for a year until they because 
Yeah, it's 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 oh, at the point it's just money. I've become a, a connoisseur of the mercenary shock army where it's like, okay, you guys are gonna break them. <laughs> and then my my cheaper troops that I need to preserve uh will come mm-hmm. in and bat clean up. Uh that's that's all that's my it, style. It, it it's been fun. Actually, you know, it, the one of the more complicated thought processes I go through in wars now is to actually begin to think about um, which which armies attack first, uh, whether it's even mine, or if I like see an ally and I are going for the same uh, the same uh, attack the same army and it's going to be a big fight like I will back off and I'm like you guys go right ahead because when you come in um, you know the the way that the the system works the the, the first attacker mm-hmm. is sort of all in the front lines and so even though you're in there and you're contributing and all of a sudden it's you know it, it's wildly in your favor because it's you know 50, a 50 stack versus a 20 stack instead of a 10 stack versus 20 stack um, you troops don't die like you're you the the person who goes in first they took all the pain you just walk off with the all the benefit of of the uh, prestige um so yeah i mean like mercenary shock army send them in first and then bring your guys in as support and you know don't worry about your manpower i love stuff like yeah, that yeah i i story's a little exploitative but at the same time you you're you're damned if you do damned if you don't cuz otherwise you'll just get rolled by a big nation it's going to be like well what do yes. i do when like austria declares war well you die um, you, yeah, <laughs> and, that, and and that's kind of a crappy answer. So you, you can't be that can't be the the the, the way the game entirely works. Uh, and it, like mercenaries will hamstring you. Like big mm-hmm. swaths of my game have basically been like digging out of debt uh, after a war that oh, went on yeah. like a generation. Like just well, okay, like thirty years of war and largely fought by mercenaries. Uh, I am maintaining debt now for a hundred years. And you you really do have to maintain it, particularly if you're if you if, if you're weak. Um, you know you may have won the war, but if you suddenly disband your mercenary army, the big nation right behind you will be go. Oh, your army went away, and you're weak, and you're still at war with Russia. Now I attack. Yeah. Which which like you say, it's it's thinking. It's not just thinking about that. You can't become myopic. You can't just look at the one yeah. and think, ah, oh, I finally beat them because somebody a, a bigger fish is right behind you. Um. So the one thing, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you is they've added a ton of events. Uh, and they've also mm-hmm. added lots of government forms over the course of existence of this game. And I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, in the past, European Universalis always felt like you're controlling basically the same nation with slightly different flavors to them. Um, and changes, attempts to change that, like the Divine Wind expansion with, like, China having these different factions basically having control of your country at, at given times you had to sort of balance um but by and large it felt like everyone was very interchangeable um mm-hmm. and one of the big focuses for eu4 as it's gone on is to create both separate forms of government uh that that have an impact in play and then also lots more events now that can pop up uh that that didn't used to there's just a lot more uh you know story stuff that's going to come up a lot more uh curveballs that could potentially be thrown at you i i'm curious uh how have you found that stuff worked in practice does it does it keep it fresh you know it's it's nice i don't 
pay as much attention to it. In the end, a lot of the government forms are ultimately just to some degree about what are the bonuses associated with that. Um, so if I know I'm going for a big expansion game, it's great to find a government form that reduces autonomy or reduces, uh, you know, revolt risk or mm. something like that, as opposed to, you know, if obviously if you're a merchant republic and you're going to play the trade game, if you want to have, you know, nodes around the world all feeding in, uh, then you stay with that and you you manage. Um, I, for, I, I forget that 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 those merchant republics have their own specific system where you can actually put different factions in power with yeah there's I think elections a that come like around it. every once in a while and you get to choose like who's going to be prioritized and i can't remember there's there's like policy shifts that come with like changing who's yeah. in power but the longer someone's in power so the more effective they become so it's kind of a weird well yeah so yeah. i mean there were, there's two parts because they have the republican tradition component yeah. which is if you will if you elect someone and keep them in power right. you lose republican tradition but they become more powerful but they also have like guilds and stuff yeah. as well um where depending on whether you so if you elect somebody who is heavy military that gives a you know a a bonus to this faction or vice versa that's been that's been fun i think again with wealth of nations with the changes they were really focused on on uh you know the merchant republics and sort of the the Dutch uh, 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 provinces and, and countries and stuff like that. That's cool. But most of the rest of the time, I'm really, you know, unless it has that layer of complexity, I'm probably just looking at the bonuses attached. Yeah. yeah. I'm gamifying it. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously it's been kind of a fanboy podcast. Like, there's no getting around yeah. that and, you know, whatever it is. Like, look. I, I never promised I'd come in and be like, yeah, here's here's why I'm going to stop playing. Because, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, actually, you did. You, you had a crisis of faith the other week where you, you were for a night. Or was it just one night? Was it just one night you were like, I don't feel like playing you for, and now you're back in the it saddle? Was, yeah, I mean, no, it was, it really, there are times where, where you, you begin to see the matrix and you have to walk away for a while yeah. and or else you, you you know you'll 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 break through uh the game that's the fun thing about it is i will still get stymied here and there you know all 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 of a sudden i'll be in a position where i'm like you know the world has just not aligned in a way where the thing i want to accomplish is even possible uh you know a good example um i i was austria uh, and this was this was the so I played a full game as Austria. Um, I was going after the achievement uh, that they recently added, where you want to control a hundred provinces with no uh, no autonomy and no revolt yeah. risk or anything like that. But just the way that the world sort of manifests around me, uh, you know, Poland for some reason. I mean, they got their 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 personal union with Lithuania. They got their Commonwealth, and then they just got this series of amazing uh, leaders, oh, and they became this massive thing. France was just like they. I I, I got the I, the. the uh, Burgundarian crisis to fire. So I, I got those, um, you know, sort of Netherlands regions, but France just pulled it together. And, and the Ottomans were, you know, they, they were being powerful. Everything that I needed to kind of come together so I could expand and do the thing I wanted, it just didn't happen. It was just that game where it's like, nope, you are boxed in and you cannot impact your will on 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 what's happening here um and yeah you know there's times like that where it's like ugh, 
I just I, I got through I got the achievement, but I was just so worn out. Um, but in, inevitably, what happens and what happened here is, you know, I get to thinking, well, what if I wasn't there, though? What if I went over here and did this thing that I've always wanted to do or, you know, tried this area mm-hmm. of the, the world? And that's the thing that keeps me coming back. Like I said at the beginning, it really is all about um, that diversity of of experience because and I could go back and play Austria again. And it would be something totally different. It would be, you know, different big problems, but, you know, a, a totally different world that I'm living in. So, I, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's something that I really enjoy, too, is um, a lot of times when I finish a run with a nation, part of me wants to go do something else with a different nation. Maybe a completely different game. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's enough Europe for now. I'm going to try India again because my last foray in my early forays in India were not great. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of small states that just kind of like it's kind of a crapshoot whether you're going to survive the the opening. It's like a demolition derby. You're either, maybe mm-hmm. you're going to survive the opening, maybe you're not. Uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> um, I, I think that's changed a little bit uh, as, as the game has expanded, but. Um, I'm often torn between like I just need to get out, do something else, different, different sort yeah. of game. I'm gonna be tri- I'm a merchant republic. I'm gonna go be a Chinese faction. I'm gonna do something different. But then there's this other part of me. It's like, well, I damn near conquered all of Europe as the Ottomans just now, <laughs> and I will bet you, if I tried it again, I could do it. I could, I could, I could make England Ottoman. You know, England all the way to Constantinople will be Ottoman. Or like, hell, maybe the Ottomans will dominate all of the Middle East and North Africa and you know South, like you know Eastern Europe. That'd be cool. And so I'm always torn between this. Like, I can play this totally different game. I'm also just more than happy to try to just run it again and do better doing the same thing I just did. Like. It's like setting a track time almost in a racing game where it's like, ah, I really, really nailed, (laughs) really nailed all the corners as France that time. I I guess, you know, and I look at it in the sense of each game is so dynamically different that it would be like trying to set the track time except somebody's come in and changed all the corners yeah right it, it, it doesn't it what what actually motivates me the most and i've mentioned it a couple of times and it it may seem you know kind of simple but i i think the achievements for this game are terrific and they're really you know there there's the first few for just you learned how to play the game Yep. Here's a handful of chivos. Enjoy them. Um, but they're really, they're very creative in the kinds of achievements that they've set out. And they give you, you know, they, they, they sort of beg you to come in and try something like that, to try something new and try a new experience or try and play it in a different way. You know, every time, every time they say, we've got some new achievements, I pull them up and I look at them and I think, oh, those all seem impossible. You, you couldn't, po- how are you, how am I ever going to, uh, uh, you know, as uh, um, what's what's one of the recent ones? Yeah, like, how am I going to form the kingdom of Jerusalem as Cyprus? And then you start thinking about, well, wait, how would I form the kingdom of Jerusalem? Well, wait a minute, Cyprus has this ally, and they made this change, so maybe, and you, like that's, and, and that will begin to kind of tease my brain, and then I'll go try it. And, I, I I will just I, I I will end on this. Okay. This is 100% true. This is not an embellishment to make a point. This is this is a fact. This is a this is a real story about me as a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm ready. My literal first thought when I woke up this morning, when my eyes opened, the room was still dark. <laughs> my eyes opened and here was the thought that was in my head. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
my monarch has an admin of three, but a zero diplomacy. <laughs> I think I'll just fire my administrative advisor and spring for the plus three advisor. I think that's the right way to do it. <laughs> it's a good idea. And then I was like, but first I got to get up and shower. That was my but, but literal first. first thought was like, nope, this is how I'm going to handle it. Going to fire that one advisor and spring for the spring for the Cadillac of diplomats. And like yeah. that's how uh, deep this game gets its hooks into me. I go to bed like sort of, huh, how am I gonna work that out? And then in the morning, I'm like, got it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've 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 gone to bed many times thinking I of those things and woke up the next day thinking of, of, of with the solution. So yeah, no, nope, right there with you, bud. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, uh, EU4, uh, great game or greatest game. Uh, the question remains unanswered. Uh, here on three moves ahead, but uh, it 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 is only it has only gotten better. Uh, I, I would say it, it has. I would absolutely agree with that. And you know the the the, the expansions in particular um, have have really been they they haven't been obvious. They haven't been you know just sort of simple cash ins. They've always had something complicated and interesting that moves the game forward in them. Uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. Maybe we'll revisit another year uh, after there's more expansions. I'm sure that will show up, or maybe they're done. Uh, yeah. That's paradox. They're they're not done. Uh, <laughs> they're not. There, there no. will be more. Let's, come on. Um, or there will be EU five, but I suspect we'll probably that might be a ways. Uh, that would be a way. I mean, I'll be in exactly the same place you were talking about with the EU three. Like, what why? Do you do? Would, why? Yeah. What? Yeah. No, I think I'd be more ready for Victoria three to just pick up where mm. E four leaves off and just like keep going, keep the magic, keep the magic, uh, keep the magic happening. I'm uh, ready. But yeah, so that's uh, that's where we will leave it for now. Uh, it is a it is an, it was an impressive game at launch, and it's actually become uh, a lot more impressive and a lot more diverse in the experiences you can have uh, since it since it came out. Um, so yeah, still highly recommended and a, quite an achievement in keeping a now two-year-old game uh, still mm-hmm. feeling really, really fresh. And prepping for the show, I actually realized like I think I'm ready for another EU4 Renaissance. I think I'm I'm ready to just really just just love it again. Your body is ready. It's time. Yeah, it is. It's it feels time. right. All right, so that does it for our show. And uh, next week we will be back uh, with I believe the Winter of War Gaming will be. Uh, getting getting rolling. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to handle the scheduling uh, for this for this next week. This episode was delayed a little bit. We might just decide to push everything back by a week, or you might get a uh, double double episode week. Who can say? Uh, but we'll be back very soon with some hardcore war gaming. So uh, if you enjoyed us fanboying out over EU4, uh, there's a lot <laughs> more fanboying uh, yet to come about hexes and cardboard counters. So stay tuned. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for joining us on a uh, Sunday night, and uh, hope to have you back soon. Thank you for having me. All right, good night, everybody.